Hear now the word of the Lord from Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. There are times in our lives where things seem to go our way that if we were writing a script of our lives, we couldn't script things any better. We do what we want to do. Things seem to come easy. We start to get the illusion that we are in control over the situations and circumstances and events of our lives. The world seems to bend pretty easily to our will. But then inevitably, all of us face other times in our lives where things do not go the way that we would script them, where we don't feel in control. In fact, in those times of difficulty and suffering where no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try, we cannot get the world to work the way that we want it to. The world seems to impact us and not the other way around. We are braced with a terrible, hard truth that we are not in control, we were not ever in control, and we will never be in control. But what about the story of Jesus's life here, his birth? Well, if, if you or I were great kings, kings of glory, who had eternally existed as the Son of God, we might, perhaps, if we're thinking according to our human thinking, write the script for our entry into human existence a bit differently. That doesn't seem to be a whole lot of fanfare here. This doesn't seem to be the kind of thing that we would write to hail the coming of a great king. It seems to be in that latter case of events of life, where we don't feel in control, where life doesn't seem to go the way that we want it to. Why then does Jesus enter into the world at this time in this way? And what the Scriptures tell us is that none of this is by accident. All of it was prepared by prophecies, some of them that Andrew read just a moment ago. There are many other prophecies throughout the Bible. All of this was not only prophesied in human history, but before time began, God had planned for this entry of His Son into the world to save sinners. Why would this be? Why would the great King of glory choose to enter into the world where the world appears to be pressing in on him in the circumstances of his birth rather than the other way around. But what we discover in this passage as we look at what's happening here is that Jesus is very deliberately choosing to enter history, to be born at this moment, at this time, in this way, for a very deliberate purpose. Our big idea tonight then is this, that Jesus reigns above human power 
and through human poverty. Jesus reigns above human power, and he reigns through human poverty. And so we're going to look at this text in two different parts tonight. First of all, that Jesus reigns above human power, and then secondly, that Jesus reigns through human poverty, looking at both parts of this. The first part of our sermon is we consider this strange way that our Savior, the Son of God, chose to be born into human history, emphasizes the human power that shaped the entry of Jesus into this world. We read at the beginning of chapter 2 and verse 1, in those days, it's sort of a ho-hum, simple matter-of-fact statement. Oh, by the way, let me tell you a story. This is what happened. In those days, something big happened. A decree went out from Caesar Augustus, the, the emperor of Rome, that all the world should be registered. Now, this decree may not sound like a big deal to us. You know, we have censuses somewhat regularly, somewhat often. But in the Bible, if you think about the way that censuses worked, censuses represented wicked excesses of evil, prideful human rulers. In this case, it's the wicked excesses of imperial subjugation of Israel under the control, under the power of the Roman Empire. Because, see, to call for a census was an act that was wrapped up in a great deal of pride. What Caesar Augustus wanted were statistics on the vastness of his empire. Now, that would puff up his pride to know how many people were under his thumb, but it was also important financially. Uh, the better that he could collect this census, the better he could collect the taxes from the people. So it was a pride and a vanity thing. It was also a financial matter. He wanted to know how great his empire was, and he wanted to know how much revenue he could expect. In the Bible, when we think about King David, uh, David committed the greatest sin with Bathsheba. You may remember that story. But behind that, the second greatest sin that, that David committed was by calling for a census. This is a great act of wickedness. Here we see Jesus entering into the world seemingly under the sway according to the whim of an emperor. Jesus doesn't seem to be in control here if we're just reading the surface level of this story. It seems that Caesar Augustus is in control. And then we read that not only Caesar is in control, but we also read the statement of another ruler under him. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So Jesus is under the authority, born under the authority of Caesar Augustus, born under the authority of Quirinius, governor of Syria. And we read that Jesus' mother and his adoptive father, Joseph, are simply carried along with this story. And yet all of this, the Scriptures insist, happens according, not according to the whims of the world, but in God's providential power. What seems to be a story about Caesar running the show really shows us that it is God who is behind the scenes guiding even the greatest of human empires to prepare for the way of the birth of Jesus. Because what all of this is doing is preparing us for a surprise that in this roundabout way, God is leading Joseph and Joseph's betrothed Mary to a particular place in Bethlehem. And so we read, and all went to be registered, each to his own town in verse 3, and then in verse 4, and Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. 
Notice what's happening here. We have a clash of kingdoms. We have Caesar's empire, and we have the house and lineage of David. Now, what's happening here? Who is serving whom? Is Caesar ordering the house and the lineage, the heir to the throne of David around Joseph, who's of the house and lineage of David? Or is it the opposite? And as we read about this story, we are reading about Joseph taking his betrothed. Now, again, we have to sort of supplement this with what's already happened in the Gospel of Luke. So to catch you up, if you're not familiar with this story, Mary was not pregnant from Joseph, but she had rather conceived by the Holy Spirit according to a prophecy of God. She had been a virgin, and yet she conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit. This child was the Son of God. But Mary at this point, because she was betrothed, which was like our engagement, except it was sort of a partial marriage. In order to separate, you had to actually get a divorce from the one you were betrothed to, but you had not yet actually consummated the marriage. So at this point, Mary is sufficiently connected to Joseph where she accompanies him to be registered in his city, the city of David, Bethlehem, but she is not so married to him that this child is the biological son of Joseph. Now what we read, especially in the, book of, in the, in the Gospel of Matthew, is that Joseph has to faithfully adopt Jesus in order for Jesus to be adopted as the rightful heir to the lineage of David. But what we're reading about here is the way that God is working in and through human empires, human power. Indeed, Jesus is reigning above human power to bring Joseph and Mary down or up from Galilee. Uh, It's north to south, but it's called up because they actually, actually go up in elevation to Bethlehem where the Lord Jesus is born. Why? But to fulfill the prophecy from Micah 5 verse 2, but you O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is of old from ancient of days. So again, Jesus does not seem on the surface to be in control here. And yet when we understand that all of this happens according to prophecy, it flips our perspective on the situation. It's not that Caesar is running the show. Jesus is instituting his reign by reigning above human power and authority. Now, this is an important point for us as we turn on the news at night. It's depressing to turn on the news and to read about all of the ragings of all of the empires all around the world, to hear what those in power did today. But as Christians, we must never forget that God is always always, always working out his plan. God is not the author of evil. He's not the one who is orchestrating or causing evil, but he is so sovereign. He is so providentially powerful that he is able to work in and through the evil that human beings commit to guide that evil, to limit that evil, to shape that evil, to direct that evil, to accomplish his purposes, not the purpose of Caesar, according to his pride, human pride, but according to the purposes of God to bring the King Jesus into this world. And today God is still working out his plan. No matter what evil may occur, God is still providentially sovereign over this to bring about his purposes, not the purposes of human sin, not the purposes of human power, but the purposes of God 
to institute his kingdom. So our first surprise as we read this story is that human authority is not in view. Human power is not in view. Jesus reigns through human power. But then in the second part, in verses 6 and 7, we come across a second surprise, that Jesus reigns through human poverty. So we read in verse 6 that while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, for Mary to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. Now this story starts off as a normal human birth story. Whenever the pains of pregnancy, pains of childbirth come upon a woman wherever she is, she just has to stop whatever she's doing and either get to the hospital or find a place for this child to be born. And it's no different for Mary. It may not have been convenient for her to give birth so far away from her home, and yet here it was. She was in labor. The baby was not going to be denied. The baby was going to come. But where she finds herself giving birth is absolutely not where she would have chosen to give birth, even given the fact that she had to be traveling during this time. She gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. These are not the fine, luxurious clothes that a king would deserve. These are just rags ripped up to wrap up the holy child. And then he was laid in a manger. This is an animal feeding trough. We've had to put our children over the years in makeshift places to sleep. We've never had to use an animal feeding trough. And yet the king of kings is born there. Why? Because there was no place for them in the inn. Crowded out of life. Of course, there were a lot of people there, but they were crowded to the margins. They were forgotten about. They were left behind. The least of these were despised, looked down upon by the world, as we were reading Jesus warned about in the sermon text for this morning. But here they were, crowded out, and Jesus was born, not in a place fit for a king, but in a place barely fit for an animal to be born. This is the quintessential expression of human poverty where Jesus is born. And yet this is the place where Jesus willingly chooses to be born. Why? Because from the very beginning, Jesus despised, he looked down upon, he considered as nothing human power. Instead, he embraced human poverty. Why? Because Jesus did not want anyone to think that his kingdom will be built like the kingdoms of this earth. He was not an earthly king building an earthly kingdom. He was a heavenly king whose power depended on the power of heaven. His power did not rise and fall on the popularity uh, of his uh, polls or his political clout. Rather, his power was so otherworldly that it overturned all of these human endeavors. Jesus came to establish the kingdom of God on earth in our midst to lead us to trust God and to walk by faith rather than trusting in human power and walking by sight. And the way he did this was by coming into this world in a way that defied all expectations, that defied all thought about what a king would actually come to do. Jesus came into this world reigning above human power and reigning through human poverty. But what do we do with the text about this story? It's so familiar a story. Even if you know very little of Christianity, you probably know something about this story because every year around this time, we sentimentalize it. 
and tell this story again, the birth of King Jesus. Maybe in your families you have a tradition of reading this like we do on Christmas or Christmas Eve where you read the birth story. How then should we apply this to our lives? Well, as we see Jesus reigning, where the circumstances seem to be out of control and yet are very much under his control, what Jesus is teaching us here is to trust in his heavenly power. Trust in the heavenly power of King Jesus. Let me ask you, are are you discouraged by human power, by the power wielded by those who have power in this world, by the politicians who seek to preserve their own power through wickedness, by the corporations who are greedy for gaining not only your money but your soul, by those, all of those corrupt institutions, cultural institutions, educational institutions, technological institutions, scientific institutions, medical institutions that seem constantly, every time you turn on the news, to be manufacturing more evil in this world or even in the smallest sectors, by those who abuse whatever little authority they are given in every sphere of life. Well, the Christmas story, the story of the birth of Jesus, is a reminder that our Lord's power does not depend on this world. The world doesn't have to be reformed before Jesus can start working. In fact, Jesus reigns above human authority. Whatever evil is happening in the world is not happening purely according to the motivations of those who are perpetrating that evil. It happens according to the plan and predestined purpose of God. God is still working out His plan. And the way we see this absolutely writ large is in the birth of the King of Kings as a helpless baby. God's sovereign control limits and guides evil in this world. God never took his eye off his plan, and he still has not taken his eye off of this plan. His purpose from beginning to end was always to send his son into the world to seek and to save the lost, and that's what Jesus did here, and that's what he's continuing to do today. God has still not abandoned his plan. He is still working all things together for good because Jesus still reigns above all human power. But also, Jesus still reigns through human poverty and suffering. Do you find yourself in need tonight? I want to remind you, we have tremendous deacons here who work with human weakness and human poverty, who work to meet the needs in our church and in our community. If you have needs, please say something to someone. We want to meet your needs as best we can as a church. Whether you're struggling financially, whether you're struggling with some other need in life, we want to come alongside you as a church. If it's financial need, if you or your loved ones face significant health challenges, whatever you're fighting in life, it's easy to sort of wonder, why am I not in control over this situation? Why am I in this circumstance where, try as I may, I cannot change what is happening here? Many of you have been praying so much for my father as he's recovering for his double lung transplant, and I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. Try as we may, we cannot change the circumstances. We continue to pray to the Lord, and we know that those things are in his hand. And the story here tells us exactly what hope we have. That Jesus himself embraced suffering. He embraced 
poverty. He wants us to understand that his power is not dependent upon the circumstances of the moment, that his resources are infinite, that he's not dependent on anything in this world, because he is the high king of heaven, the possessor of heaven and earth, working through poverty and suffering and death to demonstrate the perfection of his power. Do you trust in his power? Do you trust in his goodness and kindness wherever life may lead? You know, one of the questions I asked at the very beginning of this sermon was just to ask, why does Jesus choose this? Why would Jesus choose these dark circumstances for his royal entry? Well, what we've seen as we've studied this is that Jesus is embracing these dark, difficult circumstances, circumstances that we would not choose if we were writing our own history of entry into the world, because he wants to comfort us with the truth of his power. He wants to comfort us with a truth that surpasses even the best of times where we might feel like we are in control of our stories. He wants to comfort us with the knowledge that even in our darkest hours, even though we are not in control, Jesus is. Jesus is the one who can accomplish all things because he can work even in the lowliest of circumstances. So tonight as we remember the birth of Jesus, I want to encourage you, trust in the heavenly power of King Jesus. This story of this baby, if you fast forward and you look ahead, it's not just of a cute, cuddly, sentimental story of a baby. This is the story of God Almighty who entered into this world, who lived a perfect life, who was then despised, persecuted, beaten, and nailed to a cross to suffer for your sins and mine. And after he died, on the third day after his death, he rose again from the dead. Why? To show that even in the darkest hour, he was still in control over sin and life and death. What Jesus does is to hold out a gospel summons to all those who would turn from their sin and look to him and embrace him by faith. Jesus Christ, the child born in Bethlehem, the one who was crucified, the one who died, the one who was buried, the one who now lives forevermore still reigns. Tonight, do you trust in him? Wherever you are, are you putting your faith in Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would lead us to trust in Christ. We pray that the entry of Jesus into this world will give us hope that even in our darkest hour, even when we are not in control, that Jesus is. That his power surpasses anything in this world and that he is always working out his plan according to his goodness and his kindness and his mercy toward us. Father, give us faith to trust in Jesus even in our own darkest hours. We pray this with the knowledge the light of the world has entered this world and that even though the darkness sought to snuff it out, the darkness could not overcome it. What joy we have in Jesus tonight. We thank you for our Savior in Christ's name. Amen.